is up, guys? Thank you for sticking around. Just a quick reminder, tickets for Bitcoin 23 are on sale now. Ticket prices, I believe, have gone up, right? So, oh, they go up at midnight. They go up at midnight tonight. This is it. Like, you are in the final 12 and a half hours. No, nine and a half hours until ticket prices go up. You can buy with Bitcoin GA tickets for $250. They will never be cheaper than this. Lock them in now. Uh, and before we get started with our special guest, Jimmy Song, I wanted to highlight the fact that we just launched on the Bitcoin Magazine store a new Pizza Day shirt. This shirt was designed and put together by young Gucci T himself, Tommy. Uh, be sure to check it out. I believe we had an ad that we will play or did play or it's on YouTube somewhere. Check it out at the store. Use promo code FOMO. But now we are joined by none other than Jimmy Song. Jimmy, how are you doing, sir? I am doing great. It's not quite pizza day yet. I think that's Sunday, but I know you guys are trying to get some of that stuff done before Sunday because I'm sure you're not broadcasting on. Oh, we are. You oh, we are. are. Oh, okay. yeah. Those There's of no us who don't pass, Jimmy. No rest. No, for right. I will not. All right. I you will... guys never rest then. All right then. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I'm looking forward to talking about all of that stuff because obviously I have some thoughts on it. I want to open the floor to this because honestly, I, I was rereading 10 things you bought instead of Bitcoin list. And Jimmy, oh my God, you just didn't hold back. <laughs> um, I'm just going to read three of them. Okay. Litecoin, because it's a cheaper Bitcoin without any of the development or decentralization. That's not even a good one. <laughs> a dating app subscription. That Honestly, the Litecoin one is the worst one. Uh-huh. A, Dating app subscription, despite the fact that you're still forever alone. <laughs> Porn, which makes you lethargic, drained, and unproductive the next day. Or a college degree, that which has nothing to do with the job you're doing now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, you're not wrong. Like, there's that website, too, that like it was going around. Uh, like Bitcoin or shit, yeah. Bitcoin or shit. Yes. Or Dude, I sent it to my buddy because we bought like these Apple Beats, or not Beats, or not Apple, but the Beats headphones back in like 2011. Mm. And I was like, dude. <laughs> dude. <laughs> Y'all fucked up. See, but that's the stupid stuff that you do before you really understand Bitcoin. And that that's really the message of the article for me is that once you level up your game, you stop doing stupid stuff like that. The reason why you do that stupid stuff is because you don't understand what Bitcoin is. And once you really get what Bitcoin is and you get to the extremes that like people like Pierre Rochard and D++ say, which is they sell their chairs, right? Whatever they have, they sell to go get Bitcoin because they really recognize the value they're no longer discounting the future but saying okay the future is worth way more and therefore i'm going to forego the dating app or the college degree or any of this other stuff and honestly we we do spend a lot of money on stupid stuff that's part of the fiat mentality that we're in it's a very consumerist materialistic sort of mentality that we've been psyoped into through propaganda but that's that's essentially like, you know, exacerbated by the high time preference incentives of fiat money. Um, Jimmy, before we flip the script, I want to maybe give you the opportunity. Is there any point from this article that we haven't really gotten to touch on it that you want to further emphasize? 
Oh, fuck you, P. I got, <laughs> I got you, fam. This is a screenshot from bitcoinorshit.com. Bitcoin or shit.com. This could be you, Q. If you weren't it literally was me. Bitch. I instead bought the fucking beat. I didn't even buy the beat solo because I was so broke in college. But like I was like, I want those beats headphones. I want to fit in. I want to But cool. did, did you know about Bitcoin back then though? It doesn't no, matter. No, I actually learned about Bitcoin six months later. Oh, okay. All right. And so, I mean my yes. dumbass still said no. <laughs> well, that that's the thing. For a lot of people, like they they don't understand it. And and this is the this is the belief that Bitcoiners have is that once you really get it, <laughs> this is your hedge against uncertainty, right? Like this is the hedge against all sorts of things. So like it is very unfortunate that a lot of people don't understand it and they're no coiners and they're not really getting it. But like I said, it's still early, right? Like it, it's still early. There's a ton of people that don't get it yet. And the earlier you get to the point where you get it, the more Bitcoin you're going to accumulate and the better you're going to be set up and the less regret you're going to have later. Quit buying stupid shit. Just stack sats. Don't worry about the price. Um, I want to go to the other article you actually wrote on Monday this week, though, which was wind and solar are the altcoins of energy. Hmm. Um, and I want to, if you don't mind further elaborating, I thought your paragraph where you broke down like what is energy on a first principles basis? I thought that was excellent and would love if you could just share with our audience sort of how you came to those type of drawdowns of what energy really is and how we should rethink of it. Yeah, I, energy from first principles, if you think about it, it's uh, it's a way to do work, right? Like that's the physics definition. It's the capacity to do work. Um, and the more energy you have, the more you can do stuff, right? Move a heavy rock or dig something out of the ground or, you know, place this over here or drill um, something into this or whatever. That's how things literally get built, right? Like uh, if, you, if you want to make a computer chip, there's a lot of work that's involved and all that work requires energy. That's from first principles. That's essentially what energy is. And it comes from, uh, it, and if you follow that train of logic, the more energy you have, the more things you can build and the be better a civilization you will make. And, you know, like at the beginning, we, we started with just manual labor. Um, and that was uh, the energy that we get from food is essentially going into building boats or spears or homes or whatever. And you did everything with your hands. And that's very labor intensive and it doesn't scale very well. But then we started discovering stuff like fire um, and we, we use like hydropower and wind power with windmills and dams and things of that nature. And th those were, you know, pretty innovative, uh, you know, during the Middle Ages and even Roman times and so on. And those uh, made things more efficient and you could you, you could do more things and build uh, wonderful structures. What really supercharged civilization is the discovery that you can use fossil fuels for energy. Um, and you can, you could dig up coal out of the ground or, uh, you know, oil out, uh, out uh, you know, extract oil, um, natural gas came later, but using these things, you can essentially multiply the labor of people. And that's what it, what energy really is. It's a way to multiply the labor that you have. Um, so it makes our time more valuable. 
the reason why productivity continues to increase is that we have better and better multipliers on our labor. It's not because we're more productive per se. We're, I mean, Americans are working longer, but in a sense, like the hours that we work for each unit of time that we work, it's way more efficient. A hundred years ago, you didn't have, you know, the modern farming equipment that you do now. So you had to do things either with a horse or something like that, or farm animals, or, um, you know, use manual tools, some of which might save you some labor as well. But ultimately, when, when, you, when you have like the million dollar farming tractor or whatever, you could do the work of like 100 people, like very, very quickly, right, with just one person. And that's, that's what energy actually does. And fossil fuels have been that multiplier almost all, all over the world for lots of things from 200 years on. And this is the thing that a lot of people don't realize is it's still continuing to be used and it's the cheapest and most affordable, um, yet it gets vilified by the environmentalists. And instead they're pushing something clearly inferior, solar and wind, which only supplies one type of energy, specifically electricity. It's not very portable, it's not very reliable, and it's, it takes up way too much real estate. And that's why I call it an altcoin because it's being pushed on us. It's marketed towards us much in the same way altcoins are. And this is what fiat money lets the government do. It's control people through propaganda. And so everyone, uh, most people, or the cultural zeitgeist is that, oh, wind and solar are great because they're clean. Well, it's I, if you actually look into it, it's not clean at all, right? Like you need all these like rare earth metals and, and weird things that for every wind turbine and solar panel that you have to uh, extract from the environment just as much as you do like uh, oil or gas or any of those things. Um, and, you know, like, to construct like a Tesla battery or something like that, you, you have to, you know, basically strip mine various places in, in the world to go do that. So it's, you know, it, it's, it's a narrative being pushed on us. And it's a way to specifically keep a lot of developing countries down. And that, that was something that I really wanted to point out in the article, because if you do go back to first principles, all of these, uh, you know, developing countries aren't allowed to have access to fossil fuels. And they, they do this with the IMF and green energy and stuff like that. They tell them basically, uh, if you want our money, you can't build coal power plants or, you know, have an oil refinery or whatever. That's, that's ours. Or you, you, you have to go and use a, uh, wind and solar. And of course, those are very expensive. Uh, like, don't, don't let anyone tell you it's actually cheaper or whatever. That's after all of the government subsidies and so on. And it's not very reliable. So you, if you don't have reliable power, then you can't make factories and stuff like that, or they're going to be much less efficient than if you're actually running them with on-demand power, which, you know, coal, gas, and, uh, and, you know, nuclear allow. And that, that's the real problem is that a lot of these, uh, these things are 
ways for first world countries to oppress developing countries. And, I, and it's a lot like the IMF in that regard. And I think it's horribly unjust and it's, uh, it's a boondoggle. And yeah, yeah, I, I, I've said enough. I, I'll let you guys come in. <laughs> no, I mean, look, to, to your point, and I'm not going to try to act like I'm either an energy expert or an expert on what's going on in Sri Lanka, but like, it's exactly that. It's these mandates that the country tried to adhere to that they couldn't afford to operate under. And then as a result, like they're out of energy. Like they don't mm. have any oil. They're running out of food as a result because of all of these ESG requirements. And I'm curious what your thoughts are just on the broader ESG narrative and how that fits into this whole like clean energy. Let's, let's get off of a fossil fuel. Like it, it all feeds into one another. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm curious where ESG, how big of an effect it has on all of this. Yeah, e e ESG is like the IMF. Um, you know, people see it as benevolent, but I think it's a horrible tool of oppression. It's it's a way to restrict people or to give a monopoly to certain favored groups or whatever. The dirty secret of wind and solar is that almost all of them are backed up by natural gas or coal power plants because they're not reliable enough, right? Like, so you build this thing. And uh, solar power only works during the day, obviously, because there's no sun shining in the evening. Wind power only works when it's windy. And so in order to balance that out, they just fire up a natural gas power plant to supply energy to make up the difference. Now, like the obvious question at that point should be, well, if they're doing that, why have wind or solar at all? Because then you can just supply all of the energy with the natural gas power plant at the same time and like it doesn't make any logical sense and much like uh keynesian economics uh that the imf works on there yeah like none, none of this stuff actually works and that's kind of the point is so much of it is uh is sold as something that's beneficial for people uh for for these countries when it's actually not and you know i i want to point out that a lot of these ideas i got uh through reading fossil future which is um you know which is set to be released pretty soon but alex epstein wrote this he has the book uh you know just laying out like the moral case for fossil fuels and and it's i i don't think i could find a hole in there it's it's like literally pro-human to be pro-fossil fuels and anti-human to be pro-solar or wind because what you're doing is preventing developing countries from developing. That's literally anti-civilization, right? You, they could be building up roads and buildings and you know, like clean water filtration systems and um, you know, making wells or whatever. Um, instead, there's like, yeah, that's the one. Um, there, there. Instead, really quickly, a, we will have Alex Epstein on to talk about this book that Jimmy is ranting about on yeah. Tuesday of, on the show. Yeah, yeah, you definitely should, and I, I would, you know, tune in for that. Uh, but the the big thing is you're preventing all of these countries from developing, much like the IMF does, and ESG is kind of the same thing. It's a way to give a monopoly to the favored people. It's a subset of the Cantillon effect, right? Where you subsidize the, you give loans to the people that you favor. So I know some oil executives and people like that, they can't get a loan from Wells Fargo, right? Like the bank uh, won't give them a loan. But if you have like a, 
a uh, wind farm project, you can get a loan. Like th this is how the Cantillon effect works. You, you get a loan, you get freshly printed money if you are in compliance with whatever the authorities want you to do. If you're not, then you're, you're going to get screwed. And in a sense, this is the thing that the government is starting to realize, like the ESG narrative against Bitcoin is really a fiat narrative against Bitcoin. It's, hey, we can't be in control of these things anymore. Um, and, you know, it comes under our jurisdiction because of this particular thing. And therefore, you need to listen to us or something like that. And that that's a, a horrible sort of like way of controlling people because you're essentially taking away uh, their productivity through taking away their like capacity to build stuff. This is how Rome fell. This is how every civilization falls is through all of this grift uh, and rent seeking that goes on where progress just doesn't happen because the powers that be decide what's good or not. Like there, um, there was a, there's a story of this uh, Chinese emperor. I can't remember his name, but he, uh, you know, he, he ha inherited, I guess, as an emperor, like this large fleet of ships that were going out and doing all this trade and stuff like that. He decided instead that they were a waste of money, burned all the ships and invested in social programs. <laughs> And that ended up being sort of like China's MO right up until about 20 years ago, right? Like they were very insular and sort of like, okay, we have to provide for our own people. Uh, they, they, he didn't realize that creating something for everybody is beneficial. That was uh, like, or trading with other people and participating in the global economy. Uh, instead, he looked inward. And that, that's unfortunately what the ESG narrative is. It's a focus inward on stuff that's not even good science, I don't think. And that's really just um, a way to control people. Sometimes I have a hard time finding where the mute button is. <laughs> uh, um, Jimmy, I'm curious, like we're bearing witness to, I think, the culmination of an attempt to get off of this fossil fuel reliance and then realizing, hey, we're actually not ready for that, bearing witness to what we're seeing in Europe and the way Russia has been able to sort of control energy exports to much of Eastern and Central Europe. Um, I'm curious where your thoughts are on the future of energy and how fossil fuels fit into that future. Yeah, I, I think fossil fuels are here to stay. Um, and this is something that I, I point out in the article is that if you think you can get rid of fossil fuels, you're crazy and you have no idea what the hell you're talking about because you look at fossil fuels and what it enables and you would have to get rid of all of those things. So cheap transportation, air travel, all manner of plastics, you can't get any of that stuff if you take away oil, for example, right? Like you can't have air travel on anything, I, I guess you can try like using hydrogen and trying blimps again or something like that, but you can't have air travel the way we have it now without a, an efficient air, uh, energy source like jet fuel. And, and the fact of the matter is that like we're talking about net zero, right? Like, oh, we, we want to eliminate all this stuff. 
um, that's lunacy. Um, I, I honestly think that's lunacy because you are essentially saying, okay, let's, uh, let's get rid of all this because there might be more carbon dioxide in the air, including air travel and all these plastics and all these products. I mean, like it's it, fossil fuel products are everywhere. Like literally almost everything that you touch or use every day, like they probably have some petroleum product in it. Uh, and we don't, we don't recognize these things as, oh, okay, well, we should stop drilling and, you know, like just pay way more for the substitutes that would come on or like just do without these things. It's an anti-human thing. Uh, the thing is like, you need fossil fuels for a lot of this stuff. And it's especially good for developing countries. And this is, the, this is something that a lot of people just completely refuse to understand. Uh, kind of like with Bitcoin, right? It's enormously useful for developing countries because they can say no to the IMF. Fossil fuels would be very uh, useful, but they're prevented from using it. So I think it's here to stay. I think uh, as countries like um, El Salvador get off of the, you know, the dollar standard and go towards a Bitcoin standard, what they'll realize is, hey, you know, if we fire up a coal plant, everyone can have reliable electricity. Or if we, if we figure out how to build a nuclear power plant, everyone can have reliable electricity. And you know, maybe we can uh, start refining oil uh, for uh, you know, something that we find off the coast, or maybe we can start doing some offshore drilling or something like that. And then they can get their industry and develop. And that's you know, the dream of every developing country is to get to become more developed. And the unfortunate thing is, with all of these restrictions like ESG, you know, they, they're prevented from doing so. And somehow we see it as compassion when it's not. I'm curious how much of this, how much do you equate the ESG mandates and stuff to be like virtue signaling, self-serving? Virtual virtue signaling towards citizens and the masses versus being self-serving and in the self-interest of these countries that are developed to essentially prevent developing nations from reaching that sort of status and level. Yeah, I I, I think it's uh, it's much more the latter, um, and you know the ESG mandates like definitely increase the monetary imperialism that most of them have, and if you keep them dependent on you, if the thing is, as soon as you have like a good domestic industry, you can be self-sufficient monetarily, right? Like if you, and this was the case for Venezuela until Chavez took over, they had actually a very good resource. It was kind of like, it was a booming economy and they were able to participate in the world economy. And, you know, they've turned it back into sort of like a developing country again by all of these socialist programs. But if you if you have a really good domestic industry, you can become a developed country. And like for any industry, you're going to need lots of energy inputs because uh, you're not going to be able to compete against anybody else if you don't have good energy inputs. Uh, like what's if you have a natural resource that's not found anywhere else, what's going to happen is well, uh, um, just go ship it to China and they'll take care of the manufacturing. You're, you're not going to have a domestic industry. You're, you're going to be participating in somebody else's domestic industry. And in fact, that's 
more or less what the rest of the world does. If you look at who trades with who, everybody trades with China as like their top uh, trading partner because that's where all of the manufacturing goes. And that's where all the industry and civilization building honestly are at this point, uh, instead of in these countries. So you don't develop infrastructure, um, you know, heavy equipment, machinery, factories, capital goods, really. None of that goes into these developing countries because you're lacking one of the most basic inputs that all of those things need, which is energy. And it's unfortunately like a very effective way to oppress those places so that they're under your monetary thumb. I mean, would something as simple as creating the Petro Bitcoin standard versus the petrodollar standard, which the world operates on today, would that be something that could help easily separate, I think, this financial control of energy globally? Or are there a lot other of other steps that I'm not thinking about? Oh, the, the big problem right now is uh, the supremacy of the dollar. Uh, so the US, U.S. gets to print the dollar. They get to set the rules. So the way it's, uh, it's played out in practice is that they use the IMF as a way to pro- uh, create restrictions on all of these countries about what they can do. And one of those restrictions is ESG. It's, okay, well... You can't make a coal power plant with this money that we're lending you, or you can't do it at all, or else you're not going to get any money. So that that by controlling the money printer, um, they can essentially put uh, whatever restrictions they want, and they do this as sort of like a dependency loop, where you know the those countries you know take out these loans, and you know the Western countries end up owning large tracts of the resources. Um, and if the oil is extracted from a country, for example, it's a Western country that does it. And, you know, maybe they'll build like, uh, you know, an oil rig or something like that. But, you know, all, all the oil, you know, gets refined in the US or somewhere else. Maybe they might build an oil refinery, but all the profits really go to the Western countries, right? They, they've ex- essentially taken over uh, the production of all that stuff and, and, and the local people don't get anything, maybe a few jobs, uh, maybe some bribes or whatever. And that, this is the economic exploitation at play is, uh, is by owning this stuff, they get all of the benefits of it. Um, and it's through printed money. So it really doesn't cost them anything. Whereas, uh, you know, for, for these developing nations, like having control of your own resources and developing those resources would be a tremendous boon to their economy. And like they're, they're basically having to participate in the global economy with their hands tied behind their back because they can't develop this stuff. Um, and like maybe their hands are tied behind their back and but somebody's willing to feed them. But okay, in order for us to feed you, you have to keep your hands tied behind your back and not try to escape. Um, and that that's that's really the weird situation that they've been in with the dollar standard. Now, like if you had a petro Bitcoin standard, would that change something? I mean, possibly. I, I think that uh, at least indirectly would undermine the the dollar and eventually allow a lot of these countries to get off the dollar standard um, and, you know, do stuff like volcano bonds or something so that they can uh, invest in their 
development. <laughs> we call them developing countries, but they, they're prevented from developing because, <laughs> because of the lack of energy and the, uh, and the monetary restrictions put on them. So it's, uh, yeah, the non-developing countries, I guess. This conversation like has reminded me of genuinely one of my favorite books, The Lighting is So Bad, but the 23 yeah. Things They Don't Tell You About Capitalism. And there's one where, uh, honestly, it, it doesn't do a good job of defending the argument for less regulation, but it does bring up like this fallacy that Western developed countries essentially fed to regions like Africa or like very um, mineral rich and resource rich regions that developed nations were more savvy and quick to realize like if we can control this area, we will be able to mine those resources and we can sell them versus if like these regions of the world instead just held the resources that they were able to capture and they themselves took it out to the world, like those parts of the world would probably be far more advanced and, and developed than what we see today while possibly allowing most developed nations to still operate at or slightly below where they currently live now. Yeah. And that that's something that honestly, a lot of people in the Western world just do not have as part of their reality, right? It's a, uh, yeah, like all of the prosperity that you have, I mean, think about the US, right? Like, just, just think about it. What product or good or service do we make? I mean, there, there are certain things. Um, obviously, the tech companies are huge, but do they actually produce anything? They all run on ads. So they're really like, platforms to market something else that's being produced where are those things being produced almost all of it is being produced outside the u.s where labor is much much cheaper so if you think about it like all of the prosperity that we have all of all of the things that we're able to do all of the money that we have all the wealth that we have comes on the backs of everybody else because those other places are able to get the labor cheaper and that, uh, that translates to more goods and services for us without really costing that much because we're, we're the winners of the Cantillon effect because we live in the US. And that, that's, uh, I mean, if you really think about like the moral implications of that, I mean, th this is like some heavy stuff because we're, we're the ones responsible for keeping Africans poor, right? <laughs> we're the ones responsible for like there, there are all these like racist like ways of thinking about these developing countries. Oh, they're lazy. Uh, they they're not smart. They have terrible IQs or whatever, and those are allowed to sort of proliferate. Oh, they have messed up governments. You know, they don't know what the hell they're doing. I maybe some of that is true, but I I sincerely doubt it. So much of it is just monetary oppression. We've, we're preventing them from doing the things that would be good for them. And if, if they just got to do, you know, stuff that would be good for them, like say develop energy, right? Use their own resources to, you know, create stuff. I think they would develop way faster. And the last like uh, 70, 80 years, uh, like since Bretton Woods, so let's call it like 80 years or so, all of these countries uh, have continued to be oppressed. We, we tend to think of like colonialism as this terrible thing, thing, and it was because, you know, you did have a lot of oppression and stuff, but at least they invested in those places, right? When 
when England, when, when Great Britain had control of India, they put in all these railroads and actually built up the infrastructure. But with a monetary oppression, now they don't build up anything. You just like use their labor and like, and, and you use this monetary differential to get them to produce whatever the heck you want and, you know, oppress them essentially so that you could be prosperous at home. It's like, it, it's like you couldn't design a better system because you don't have to sh fire a shot. You don't have to have a standing army. You know, it's honestly tragic because at least with colonialism, you develop those places because they were your stuff. In a sense, now you're like strip mining these countries of all their resources through monetary machinations. Uh, and that's been terrible for these places and the people in them. Jimmy, you're not, I mean, I, I was cackling off screen at the idea that like these, you're absolutely right. Like with colonialism came the idea, like it's not just let's get here. It's let's get here, build, develop, and like further grow and establish this culture. And there was an aspect, I think, of sharing and spreading culture that doesn't happen anymore as a, as a result. And I think part of that loses out on the development of these new regions that they go off and explore and exploit now, especially. Jimmy, you know, as we wind down, it's been a crazy week in Bitcoin land and just clown world in general. Um, I always appreciate your commentary, but I want to give you an open mic, fully unfiltered. Give us a Jimmy rant. Like what has been really pissing you off or irking you this last week? Uh, good question. I, uh, I, I've been writing a lot. So, you know, obviously my next rant is coming on Monday, so I don't want to spoil that or, um, scoop myself. Uh, but I, I will say that there's this idea of, uh, mimetic conflict, which, uh, which I've been getting into with, uh, reading Rene Girard, uh, that I'm, I'm seeing absolutely everywhere now. Um, but there, there is something about uh, within the Bitcoin community in particular uh, that, that I, I put into the Pizza Day article largely. Uh, it, it's this idea that we all want things because we want to be the be this other person, and uh, and we want things because we we imagine ourselves as that other person, uh, and the, whatever it is that we want, say it's Bitcoin or a nice car or something like that. It, it's a way to get into the position of the other person. And that, that that's where we want to be socially. And there, there's this weird status game that humans almost always play, right? Like at all times and all ages, People, uh, people were are always organized in some sort of society, and uh, and when you have a society, you have status, and you have people that are at the top of the status hierarchy, and you have people at the bottom of the status hierarchy. My thesis right now is that what fiat money does is it sort of like puts this status game on steroids, like just everybody is forced to participate in the status game. And I think that's why anxiety has been going up generally for a long time, because status games are zero sum. If somebody wins, somebody has to lose. And that's what fiat money is, right? Like when you, when you are expanding the money supply, you're not making everyone win. You're making some people win at the other expense of everybody else. Uh, there, there's somebody that loses. 
and that uh, that anxiety, I think, has been terrible, especially for young people. Um, you know, as, as they go through school or whatever. What if I don't? You know, it, what, what if I'm not down there? And th this is what like causes them to sort of toe the line on you know any sort of dominant narrative that exists and so on. I think Bitcoin breaks so much of that. Um, and unfortunately, when a lot of people come into Bitcoin, they don't recognize that Bitcoin is a very different game, that it's, it's not a status game. Um, if Greg Maxwell tomorrow said something ridiculous, I think we would all call him out on it. All of the altcoins, however, they still are part of this status game, right? Like if Vitalik says anything, you know, his word is law, right? He's at the top of the Ethereum hierarchy. That status game, I think, gets worse before it gets better. And that's a little bit tragic, but at least in Bitcoin, we don't have to play that. And I don't know, it's, it's not a rant per se. I, I, I think this is more a message of hope in that I think, I think Bitcoin fixes this. Right? I think Bitcoin actually fixes this. We're, we're going to get to a place where we're going to be judging on merit and not status. And unfortunately, it's going to take some time to get there. But once it does, I think you're going to get better goods and services. Now, status games are not completely going away. They're never going to go away. We're, we're social beings and stuff. But minimizing that is minimizing politics, essentially. And I think we can all agree that less politics would be amazing. Unfortunately, everything is political in a fiat world. And that's because when you have, you can get access to the money printer, everything is political because, <laughs> you know, who's not going to want it. So yeah, that's my rant. The old saying was divide and conquer, and they do a good job of dividing all of us. Jimmy, thank you so much for joining us, man. Everyone who's tuned in today and all week, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to do a hard wrap right now because it's Friday and I just want to go home. <laughs> I don't want anyone to comment on the fact that I'm already home. Shut the fuck up. Uh, guys, stay humble. Stack Sats. Use promo code FOMO. Get 10% off of everything in the Bitcoin Magazine store, including the latest issues, including the latest swag. And get your conference tickets because prices are going up in... What is it now? Eight hours? Eight hours. Prices will be going up. And that's it. The cheapest tickets to Bitcoin 23 are officially off the market. Uh, and stay tuned for some surprise stuff coming from the Bitcoin Magazine team on Sunday, Bitcoin Pizza Day. Have a good one all. Stay humble and stack sats. Thanks, Jimmy. Thank you. <laughs>